Well, I want to welcome you today to our second week of the Heroes Message series. Last week, we kicked off this series talking about heroes from the Bible and the timeless truths from their lives and the way that it can impact the way we live our life today. Last week, we said that heroes step up when everyone else is shrinking back. It's not that heroes are perfect people. A lot of times they're really imperfect with some really glaring flaws. But somehow God was able to live in and through their lives to do incredible things. A lot of times when we think about historical heroes, one of the characteristics that we esteem is their willingness to never give up, to fight to the death, never surrender. So this idea that we're talking about today of heroic surrender almost seems like an oxymoron. Like, heroes don't surrender. But when you think about the kind of people in the Bible that God uses, the heroes of Scripture, what we see is something very different. We see people that are indeed willing to throw up their white flag of surrender to God. In essence, to sign over the blank check of their life and put it in God's hands. Now, I realize it can be a really scary thing to sign over a blank check and give it to anyone. When I was in high school, there were a few times that my mom would send me to school with a blank check that she had signed, maybe to pay for something we didn't know how much it cost. And it was always with much fear and trepidation that she put that check into my 15-year-old hands because she knew the ramifications of what could happen if that check got put into the wrong hands. It could be the demise of my parents' whole bank account. Well, today we're going to look at a hero from the Bible who figuratively signed over the blank check of her life. She said the ultimate yes to God, and God was able to do a miraculous work through her life. The reason that I think this message is so important for all of us to hear today is because often what stands between us where we are today and where God wants us to be is our willingness to say yes to him. For many in this room, the tr this truth could be the difference between living your most heroic life that God created you to live and living a life that pales in comparison. So if you don't hear anything else that I say today, I want you to hear this point, that God can use our ordinary lives to do extraordinary things if we will say yes to him. Now, the book of Esther is one of the most fascinating stories in the Bible. It's only 10 chapters long, but in those chapters, there are scandals and betrayal and murder and courage and redemption. I think one of the reasons that I love this story so much is because God uses the most unlikely of characters to do something of incredible significance. And I think that gives me a lot of hope. The book starts off with the king of Persia throwing this huge party, a party that actually lasts about six months. And this party was intended to show off his vast wealth. Another thing that he wanted to show off was his wife. And so one day during the middle of this party, he summons the queen to come in and to kind of parade around in front of all of his friends and, and the guests that were there. But she refuses to come. And this one act of disobedience so embarrasses and infuriates the king that he has his queen dethroned and banished from his presence forever. I mean, talk about a severe consequence. I'm kind of glad I'm not married to a man like that. 
But the queen, so this leaves the king in an unfortunate situation of being without a queen. So one of his advisors comes up with this brilliant idea that he should host a beauty pageant of sorts in order to pick out his next queen. Because, you know, all of us in this room realize that that, of course, would be the best way to pick out your wife. Just hold a beauty pageant, right? So the queen, of course, the king thinks this is a a fantastic idea. So he uh, summons young girls from all over every province of the kingdom of Persia to come to the castle. And there they're going to undergo beauty treatments and they're going to go before the king and he's going to select the one that stands out to him. I read in one commentary that there could have been anywhere from 400 to 1,600 young girls. Can you imagine being the guy in charge of keeping up with all of those girls? I would not want that job. But Esther was one of these beautiful young girls that was brought to the palace. And the Bible gives us a little bit of background on her. We find out that she is a Jew living in Susa, which was the capital of the Persian Empire. So she's a Jewish person living in a non-Jewish country. We also find out that she was orphaned at a young age, and she was adopted by her cousin Mordecai. We learn also that Esther was beautiful. God had made her exceedingly beautiful, in fact. The Bible says that she had a a beautiful figure and was extremely good looking. So in essence, she's basically a hottie. Well, according to the Bible, she had a great personality too. With Esther's beauty and charm, it says that, that she won the favor of everyone who saw her. So when it was Esther's turn to go before the king, he no doubt was won over by Esther as well. And right then and there, he declares, she's the one, puts a crown on her head, and Esther earns the title of the ultimate beauty queen. Well, about five years into her reign, there is a scandal that arises. The king's prime minister of sorts is named Haman, and he has it out for the Jews. He hates the Jews, and he wants to to annihilate them. So he comes up with this crazy scheme, and he takes it to the king, and that's where we're going to pick it up in the Bible in Esther chapter 3, verse 8. It says, Then Haman, who's like the prime minister, said to King Xerxes, There is a certain people dispersed among the peoples in all the provinces of your kingdom who keep themselves separate. Their customs are different from those of all other people, and they do not obey the king's laws. It is not in the king's best interest to tolerate them. If it pleases the king, let a decree be issued to destroy them. Now, at this point, if you're the king, you've got a few questions, right? Like, okay, tell me more about these people. Who are they? What are they doing exactly that's against my law? No, there was none of that. The Bible gives no indication that the king asked any questions at all. He just signs over on this crazy plan and says, okay, let's do it. I'll give you the authority. So in Esther 3.13, it says that dispatches or letters were sent by couriers to all the king's provinces with the order to destroy, kill, and annihilate all the Jews, young and old, women and children, on a single day, the 13th day of the 12th month, the month of Adar, and to plunder their goods. Now, you guys, this is craziness. This is worse than World War II and Hitler. The ramifications of this edict are staggering because at the time, the Persian Empire was huge. It went all the way from modern-day Iran through northern Africa up to modern-day Israel. And so virtually every Jew in the known world was living somewhere within the Persian Empire, and this edict would destroy all of them. 
This is craziness. But just to add one more little punch in the gut, the Bible adds this extra verse to kind of show us the heartless nature of the king and Haman. In verse 15, it says that the couriers went out, spurred on by the king's command, and the edict was issued in the citadel of Susa. The king and Haman sat down to drink, but the city of Susa was bewildered. No remorse, no second thoughts, no regret. He had just issued the annihilation of an entire people group, but he sat down for a few cocktails and felt pretty good about life. Now at this point in the story, no one realizes that Esther is in fact Jewish. Somehow they didn't do background checks on royalty in those days, and this small detail had eluded anyone's notice. And so little did he know, but the king had just approved of the, his own queen's murder. This is where the tension in the story really begins to build because there are, there are Jews all over the Persian empire that are weeping and mourning and they're scared to death and they don't know what to do. And so Mordecai, Esther's adoptive father, sends her a message to say, Esther, you have got to do something. You have got to appeal to the king on behalf of your people. But this puts Esther in a really precarious uh, situation for a few reasons. One, no one knows she's a Jew. So how's she going to bring that up? Oh, uh, by the way, I forgot to mention, yeah, how's that going to go over? Secondly, in, according to Persian law at this time, it was against the law for anyone to go into the king's presence without first being summoned. And anyone who did go into his presence without being summoned, the penalty was almost certain death. The third reason that this is a bad situation for Esther is because this king is not known for being a particularly wise decision maker or a rational kind of guy. Remember what happened to his first wife. Esther's not guaranteed a pass just because she's beautiful or because she's the queen. And so Esther sends back this reply to her um, adoptive dad and to remind him of her situation. She says in chapter 4 verse 11, all the king's officials and the people of the royal provinces know that for any man or woman who approaches the king in the inner court without being summoned, the king has but one law, that they be put to death unless the king extends the gold scepter to them and spares their lives. But 30 days have passed since I was called to go to the king. Surely Mordecai would understand, right? I mean, this was his adoptive daughter. He wouldn't want anything to happen to her. It's not like she just saw the king on a regular basis. They weren't sleeping in the same bed. She couldn't just casually bring it up one night while they're brushing their teeth. This was going to require an unscheduled and very dangerous visit to the king. But Mordecai's reply back to Esther is not one of compassion or sympathy. It is a call for courage. It's a, it's a charge to do the right thing, no matter what the cost. He says to Esther in verse 13, Do not think that because you are in the king's house, you alone of all the Jews will escape. For if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance for the Jews will arise from another place. But you and your father's family will perish. And who knows, but that you have come to your royal position for such a time as this. He says, newsflash, Esther, you are a Jew too. Your ethnicity will be found out and you will be killed with all the rest of us. So don't think that you're going to save your own skin just by keeping silent. 
But Esther, don't you realize your whole life has led up to this moment. God made you beautiful so that the king would pick you. You're the queen so that you can appeal to the king on behalf of your people. It is no coincidence that there is a Jewish queen leading a Persian nation at a time when the whole Jewish population is about to undergo genocide. This is your moment. You don't get a second chance. If you miss this, you miss everything. You are the queen of Persia for such a time as this. At this point, Esther has a decision to make. And it is the decision of all decisions. (laughs) The kind of decision that that keeps you up at night and makes you want to throw up every time you think about it. She has to decide if she's going to try to save her own life at the risk of the genocide of the Jewish people or if she's going to risk her own life in an attempt to save the Jewish people. So Esther does what all of us hope we would do if we were put into a situation like that. She counts the cost and she musters up every ounce of courage she can find and she sends this reply back to Mordecai. She says, I will go to the king, even if it's against the law. And if I perish, I perish. The rest of the book of Esther goes on to tell us how God does indeed save the Jewish people by this young Jewish orphan girl who is now the beautiful and courageous queen of Persia. You see, God used this ordinary girl with all kinds of strikes against her to do something extraordinary because she said yes to God. And friends, the same thing can be true for our lives. God can use your ordinary life to do something extraordinary if you will say yes to him. But what does that look like in 2012? You know, it'd be really easy for us to come every Sunday to this Heroes Message series and to listen to all these stories about amazing men and women that changed the course of history and to go out and say, let's go and be like Esther. And we're all like, yeah, but, but what does that really look like? Because I don't know about you, but, but my life doesn't feel all that heroic. Making peanut butter and jelly sandwiches for my kiddos every day doesn't feel so heroic to me. Maybe it doesn't feel very heroic to you as you go into work and you stare at a computer screen or you answer phones all day or crunch numbers. It probably doesn't feel all that heroic as you go to your classes and you study biology and algebra. Most of our daily decisions don't feel like defining moments and it certainly doesn't feel like what we choose is gonna affect the course of a whole nation. So how does this story of Esther even relate to our everyday kind of lives? Esther teaches us what it looks like when obedience to God comes at great personal cost. There is something about her that is so inspiring that that makes us want to go all in and to say yes to God. It's true that our everyday decisions and opportunities to say yes to God probably won't be as public or as as noticeable or like the things that legends are made of. But it's those everyday decisions and chances to say yes that shape us into the people that God wants us to be. 
It's moment by moment, layer by layer, decision by decision. And when we say yes to God every time, even when it doesn't seem like a big deal, even when it's not that painful, it prepares us for the moments that it is a big deal and it is kind of painful. You see, God can use our ordinary lives to do extraordinary things, but it it hinges on our willingness to say yes to him. The second thing I want to point out to you is that just like Esther, you were born for such a time as this. It's no accident that you were born into the family that you were born into at the time when you were born, at the place where you were born. Actually, in the book of Acts 17, God says that long before the creation of the world, God had already ordained the exact time and location where you would live. So think about it this way. You are the parent of that six-year-old child for such a time as this. You are an employee at Google or Apple or Yahoo or Cisco or eBay for such a time as this. You live on your street in your neighborhood with your neighbors for such a time as this. God may have given you a lot of money for such a time as this. You live in one of the most influential and diverse 40 square miles on the planet for such a time as this. God puts you on your middle school campus or your high school campus or your college campus for such a time as this. It's not an accident that you are where you are today. There is a purpose behind it. God wants to involve you in his master plan if you will say yes to him. God did not just put us on this earth so that we could have a good job and drive a nice car and have 2.5 kids and a dog. There is something bigger for your life and he wants to weave you into the plan but you have to be willing to surrender it to sign over the blank check and to say yes to him because my third point is you could miss it Esther could have missed it God had positioned her in this position of royalty as the queen of Persia but she could have missed it she could have looked out for number one and said you know what it's not worth the risk to me But there is a a verse that Mordecai is responding back to Esther in Esther 4.14. And he says to her, Esther, if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance for the Jews will arise from another place. But you and your father's family will perish. I think that that verse is such a sobering reminder to us that in God's economy, there is no one, not even the queen of Persia, that is irreplaceable when it comes to the work of God. It's not like God was up in heaven wringing his hands saying, I really hope Esther comes through. I got her there. She needs to say yes. What if she doesn't say yes? What am I going to do? No, there was was none of that. If, If Esther had bailed, God would have raised up deliverance from another source. And you know what? If that would have happened, none of us today would be sitting around remembering Esther. We'd be talking about some other hero that God raised up. But God wanted to use her. He had specifically positioned her there because he wanted to involve her in his work. And because Esther was willing to say yes, she got to be a part of it. She got to experience the miracle. She was a part of the redemption of all of the Jews because she said yes to God. It wasn't dependent upon her, but she got to be a part of it. She could have missed it, and so could we. For many of us today, there's some type of barrier in our lives between where we are right now and where God wants us to be. And I wonder what that is for you. 
I wonder what, what's that one thing in your life that you've said, I'll do anything, but I won't do that. You won't even entertain the idea of it. Maybe it's, I could never forgive that person. You have no idea what they've done to me. Maybe it's, I could never break up with my boyfriend or girlfriend. I know they're not a Christian. I know they're dragging me down spiritually. I know it's not God's best for my life, but I just can't. Maybe it's, I could never decrease my standard of living just so I could give more generously. You know, I can, I can give a little, I can serve in other ways, I'll give my time, I'll give my talents, but don't ask that, that's asking too much. Can I say something as, as gently but directly as I know how? If there is any area of your life that you're holding back on, any little territory that you're trying to protect, then you are not fully surrendered to God. If you won't even entertain the idea that God may in fact call your family to adopt, then you are not fully surrendered to God. If you won't even consider the fact that God may actually call you to sell everything, move to another country and be a missionary, then you're not fully surrendered to God. And you guys, if we hold back in these areas of our life, if we aren't willing to surrender these areas, then God can't bless us the way that he desires to bless us. He can't live through us the way that he wants to live through us. It is dependent, it all hinges on our willingness to say yes to him. You know, the thing that's ironic about it is that sometimes the greatest areas of fruitfulness in our lives come from those areas that the dreams that we were holding on to, and then finally we make a decision to let them go and we think that we're letting them die. And then somehow God steps in and he breathes supernatural life into them. And it produces a harvest so much more than we could ever imagine. Let me give you a few examples of that. Recently, a couple different girls from South Bay have come to me at different times. And they told me that they felt like God was leading them to break up their boy, with their boyfriend, a, a guy that they love very much. And it wasn't because they didn't love him or didn't want to be with him. It was because they knew that it wasn't God's best for their life that he wasn't helping them to grow spiritually. And so they made the hard choice to surrender that relationship to God. And the result of it is joy in their life and peace that they don't understand. And there was pain involved, but they are on track for God to use them in incredible ways. Another example, Andy and I have some friends that live in San Francisco, Ben and Shauna. They started a church there. They have three little boys, live in a small San Francisco, San Francisco house. And recently they felt like God was leading them to adopt a little girl from India. And it didn't make any sense because they live in a small house, they live on a pastor's income. It, it's not, it didn't make a lot of sense according to the world's standards, but they knew in their hearts God was leading them to this. And so they said, yes. And it is with joyful anticipation that they await to bring their daughter home. They could have missed it, but they said, yes. There's another um, story of, of a doctor, it was my parents' doctor, Dr. Parker, about 60 years old, living a great doctor's lifestyle here in the United States. But he and his wife started to feel like God might be urging them to sell everything and move to the Sudan, to be a medical missionary there. 
And so now they're there serving in the Sudan with medical missions, church planting. And you know what happened? The stories that they are sending home of the miracles that they are experiencing far exceeds anything they could have imagined. You know what? I don't feel sorry for these people. I don't feel like, oh, poor them. They gave up so much to follow God. I am excited for them. It is with great anticipation that I wait to see what God does through them because there is no limit to what God can do through one person's life who is fully surrendered to to him. But you have to say yes. I meet so many people who are living their life trying to live with one foot in both worlds. And they are the most miserable kind of people because you never experience abundant life that way. Abundant life is not something that you can just kind of dip your toe into to see if you like it. You only experience abundant life when you dive in head first all the way under. You know, I, I've heard people say, that they don't wanna go all in. They don't wanna sign over the blank check because they, they fear that somehow they'll be suddenly doomed to a life of boring dullness. Like they'll have to sit around on Friday nights where, singing songs and, and denim jumpsuits or something crazy like that. And, and, it, and it's just nothing could be further from the truth. This is where real life is found, real joy, real adventure. If you wanna be a boring Christian, I'm sorry for you, but you don't have to be. When I think about my life and Andy's life, I don't think it's boring. I don't think that moving across the country with this dream in our hearts that God might could use our lives to start a church that would reach people, that would change a region. I don't think that's boring. I don't think that trekking through the jungles of Laos and mission trips to Africa sounds boring. I don't think this skydiving to celebrate our 30th birthdays sounds boring. Signing over the blank check of your life is not a lifelong sentence to dull living. It's more like signing up for the great adventure. There is so much that awaits you if you will say yes to God. If you will release it is, whatever it is that you're holding on to, if you'll release it to him, there is no limit to what God can do through our ordinary lives. Don't you wanna live for something that you believe in so much that you'd be willing to die for, to risk it all for, just like Esther? Isn't there anything in you that thinks that would feel so right and good and pure? And even though there might be some element of fear involved, there's something in your heart that's just urging you to jump and to go for it all in, all chips on the table. God, you can have my life. I sign it over to you. You know, even though there might be a little fear involved in this, the greatest fear that all of us should have is one morning waking up and realizing that we are outside of God's will for our life. So when you get down the road a little ways, 20, 30, 40 years, and you look in the rearview mirror of your life, what story do you want to be told about your life? Do you wanna tell the story that you, you protected your dreams and you built your own kingdom and you poured everything you had and look what I made? 
Or do you want to be able to look into the faces of your kids and your grandkids and tell them there was a moment in time that I signed it over and I let it go and I was scared and I didn't know what my life was going to look like from that point on. But you know what? I've got stories to tell and I've got miracles that I was a part of. And there are people's lives that were changed because I said yes to God. That's the story that I want to be told about my life. Can you imagine what would happen if our church was a church that said yes to God? If just the people in this room were willing to open up their hands and say, I'll do anything, I'll go anywhere, whatever you say, God, my answer is yes. There is no limit to what God could do, the influence that could go out from this church if we would be a church that would say yes to God. When you came in today, you should have received a program that looks like this. And inside, everyone should have gotten a blank check. And I just want to ask you if you'd be willing to pull that blank check out right now as we close up our time together and just, just have it there on your lap and look at it. I'm going to ask you a few questions I'd like for you to think about. What kind of God would he be if he didn't demand our all? And what kind of faith would we have if we weren't willing to surrender at all. You know, there may be some people in this room right now and you're not even sure that you want to say yes to God. You want to want to say yes to God, but you're not sure that you're quite there yet. And you know what? That's where you start. You just come to God and you say, God, can you help me want to say yes to you? And you know what? He will meet you there. There are people in this room right now who have not yet said the initial yes to beginning a relationship with Jesus. And friend, today can be your day. Today you can sign it over. You can say, God, I know this is what you want from me. I, I, even now I can feel you stirring in my heart that this is the path that I'm supposed to take. And I'm a little bit scared, but I wanna receive that gift. I wanna receive salvation. I accept Jesus into my heart. Thank you for the forgiveness that you offer because of the cross. Today I'm yours and I sign it over to you. For many of us today, there's something that you're holding on to. There's something that's holding you back from this most heroic life that God always created you to live. And maybe no one even knows. By all accounts, you could be living the dream. But inside your own heart, you know that you're not living God's dream for your life. That there's some area that you are holding back on. Friend, today you can release it into some trustworthy hands. Yeah, it's scary to sign over a blank check if you don't know whose hands it's gonna get into, but we've got trustworthy hands that we're putting it in. What are you afraid of? What can you not relinquish over to a faithful God who loves you, who wants what is good for you? Will you be willing to say yes to him today? In just a moment, the band is gonna come up. They're gonna sing a song. I invite you to sing with them. It's just about surrendering all that we are to him. I pray that today that would be your heart's cry. Whatever you have for me, God, I am yours. I surrender it. I wanna heroically surrender to you so that you can use my life to accomplish your purpose. Will you pray with me? 
Father, would you take us to a place where we could honestly say, there is nothing that I want more than you. I would give up my house. I would give up my car. I would give up my career. I would give up anything to pursue you. God, I just pray for each of us in this room that you would reveal in our hearts, what are we holding back? What are we scared of? What can't we relinquish into your hands? God, would you give us freedom today? Would you give us courage, the kind of courage that we need to give you a wholehearted yes. May surrender be our posture this morning. We worship you in this moment. It's in Jesus' name that we pray.